This podcast is brought to you by Knowledge at Wharton. Trust in the workplace is something is it's expected by many people, but it also ends up being a, a letdown at times in some circumstances. And in the structure of a company, trust is something that you hope you see from the C-suite all the way down to the mailroom. But in a new book by former Marine Robin Dreek, the way to build trust is to focus on the needs of others in that company and create shared goals. Raman is uh, also a former director of uh, the Counterintelligence Behavior Analysis Program with uh, one of our uh, security agencies here in the United States. He worked on this book with writer Cameron Stouth. The title of the book is The Code of Trust, an American Counterintelligence Expert's Five Rules to Lead and Succeed. And Robin and Cameron joining us on the show right now. Gentlemen, great to have you with us today. Thank you. Hey, thanks for having us on, Dan. Hi, Cam. How are you? Doing very well. Uh, Robin, I guess give us the background on doing this book, because from what I read, a lot of these are principles that that you have kind of seen and really tested out in your time uh, working in the counterintelligence field. Yeah, um, thanks, Dan. The, the the real impetus of this book was the fact that uh, I, I'm not a natural-born leader at all, and yet I was placed in these situations throughout my life, as you can see from my bio, to lead. And when you work in the realm of counterintelligence, the you know the people that I'm generally trying to um, hopefully sign up to help protect our country, you know, generally they're not doing anything wrong or illegal. So there's you know when you work in law enforcement, a lot of people have an ability to use compulsion to talk to you because they've already done something wrong. But sure. in my line of work, there's never been that. So I've had to you know think not in terms of convincing someone to do something, but really in terms of inspiring them to want to. So luckily for me, though, I was surrounded by some great Jedi masters of interpersonal communication and leadership. <laughs> so I was able to really, you know, synthesize down what they were actually doing from the subjective art form into a very cognitive paint-by-number. Hey, Cameron, I guess uh, the question I'll start with for you is when you think about the office setting and building trust, uh, a lot of people would ask, you know, is it a prevalent problem in our oh, business society today? Um, recession alone, the uh, trust in America's most fundamental institutions, which is basically business, government, media, dropped by a combined average of 60%. Uh, right now, 19% of all Americans trust big business. 33% trust banks. And it's at every level. It's not just the CEOs. Only one-third of all people trust store clerks. Right. And this has just got to change. It's it's costing everybody money. So, I mean, tell us, Robin, I mean, how this all kind of played out in your work uh, working in counterintelligence. Yeah, so um, since it's it's actually, since there's no really compulsion for any human being that I'm supposed to interact with um, to talk to me, it really came down to how can I inspire them to want to talk to me. So um, a number of years ago, I wound up doing an, uh, an article on what my team does on the behavioral analysis program because someone asked me to. And it was the first time I actually sat down and thought to myself, well, what am I actually doing in all these counterintelligence investigations I'm doing? Um, and each of them involves another human being. And what I actually, when I sat back and looked at it, what I was actually strategizing in every single engagement was I wasn't strategizing anything but trust. And so that's when it hit me. I, I call it that new car effect. Um, you know, when, when you buy a new car, you all of a sudden start seeing it everywhere. Um, for me, it's a tundra. And so what, <laughs> what happens when, when I gave, started giving the labels and meanings behind what we're actually doing for trust, 
I came up with my five steps of trust, and all of a sudden I started seeing it everywhere, not just for work, but, you know, I do a lot of consulting for businesses, you know, my, my teenagers especially, um, and coworkers. I mean, it's just really everywhere. Anywhere there's two human beings interacting and you're hoping to move forward in anything, you're not going to do it without trust. I guess I find it interesting because, when you, as you laid out, when you're doing some sort of an investigation, you're obviously there, – there's going to be – you expect the negative from that person that you're investigating. But if you're working with people within an agency, a lot of people would say, well, if there's not trust there, then how can you be effective moving forward with these investigations? Absolutely. And the way to do that is to, first and foremost, to start understanding, you know, you've got to understand what your priorities and goals are, obviously, and that's what leaders do. They identify them. But as soon as you identify them, just let them go. You don't have to try to see it. Just like you don't have to try to see that new car you bought, you just see it. So as soon as you label what you're looking for, let go of it, because now your job is to understand the priorities of others, needs, wants, dreams, aspirations, professional, personal, long-term, and short-term. Because ultimately, if you're talking in terms of what the priorities of others are and you offer them available resources for them to achieve those things, that's what starts to be getting trust. And, and with no expectation of reciprocity, which is the real key, you can't do it for the gain that you're hoping to get. You just got to do it because leaders are about offering their resources for others um, success. Seemingly, Cameron, the, the, the bottom line impact of not having trust on a company is being written about more and more with a lot of different companies now. Yes, it is. Um, because this is probably the uh, worst crisis in trust we've ever had. And it's, it's seen in, in every aspect of life. People have fewer friends than they used to, which just sounds sad. Uh, people don't even trust members of their own family as often as not. And we all need a big dose of a healthy degree of trust. And we need to learn how. Uh, and the beauty of what Robin did is he created a system. He says he wasn't a natural-born leader, uh, and I'm not either. But right. he just lays it out. Um, here's do this, do this, do this. And it'll all come together. Well, let's, uh, Robin, let's go through each of the, there's five of them, as you said. Let's go through each of them and, and you can comment on them. First, uh, suspend your ego. Uh, that's, that's, the, that's the first one on the list. Yeah, that's the cornerstone that's really going to um, enact the code. Um, the code, as I've said to numerous groups I talk to, is flawless because the code is about everyone else. Um, the one thing that's going to undermine is your ego and vanity. In other words, your ego is going to get in the way. It's what um, basically overwrites what you want to do in your heart, but your mouth kind of comes out with the wrong words because we get insecure and we get uh, fearful and we get, you know, all kinds of resentment going. And so if we can let go of our own ego and vanity in every situation and keep the focus on the other person, um, it's going to enact the uh, code flawlessly. I would think, though, that that might be one of the toughest ones to to kind of crack the code on, because there are many people that feel that ego is kind of an important component of being successful in the workplace. Yeah, um, it is the hardest one to let go of, and a lot of people do think it's the the most important thing in the workplace. But, you know, it's funny. I mean, how many successful people are successful alone? Because if you're focusing on your own needs, wants, dreams, and aspirations with right. disregard for others, you know, you can have all the skills and talents and expertise in the world, but if you're an island alone, you, you're, you're useless. I mean, you're absolutely ineffective. B, 
be non-judgmental is number two on your list. And I mean, just what we are seeing in our American society right now, yeah. it seems more and more that people are judgmental rather than non-judgmental. Yeah, um, and another cornerstone of this is being non-judgmental, and it and also a very hard thing to do. Um, Twenty years of of you know doing this with the uh, the FBI, I could not be judgmental of anyone because shields would go up. I had to seek to understand, and so a judge, being non-judgmental does this to a human being. Human beings uh, at our core in genetics and our biology, we seek to be valued and we seek to be understood and accepted because that meant our survival genetically. And so when we do things where we're not judging others and we're demonstrating value by seeking their thoughts and opinions, we talk in terms that are priorities, we empower them with choice, and we validate them. When we're doing at least one of those four things, we're demonstrating that non-judgmental acceptance of who they are. Honor reason. I'll let you get into that one. Go ahead. Yeah, honor reason. Uh, one of the things that leaders do really, really well that are effective and inspirational leaders is that they're a resource for the prosperity of others. And the way that leaders are resources for prosperity of others is they maintain an objectivity. They maintain an objectivity so that they can honor reason. In other words, they understand the priorities and goals of those that they're leading, and they can ask those uh, cognitive questions, well, how is what you're doing now helping or hindering you getting there? If, if someone gets emotionally attached to what you're doing and your choices, you kind of start riding that emotional roller coaster, and you're no longer unbiased. So honoring reason is, is, is just simply um, maintaining a lot of clarity of thought without all that emotional hijacking that goes on during stressful moments. Validating others, which I guess... Is- in part, if you're able to validate other people that you work with, you're able to build a better team. Absolutely, because validation is, is a lot of people like to think that validation is agreeing with someone, and it, it's not. It might be, but validation, it, it's, it's a simple task of trying to understand the human being you're interacting with, why they have the thoughts they have, how they came to be the human being they are, how they make the choices they make, and understanding them. Again, you've got to do this non-judgmentally, because if you have any tone of voice or non-verbals that are indicating that you're judging in certain ways and when you're asking these discovery questions, you know, you're going to go down that road of, of crash and burn. But no, if you can um, validate others just by seeking to understand the human being in front of you, um, you're building that affiliation and you're demonstrating that value. And, and the final one is, is seemingly very simple when you think about it, is be generous. Yeah, be generous. Um, and most importantly, and there's lots of ways for generosity, and, and that's the key here is to understand how the other person wishes you to demonstrate generosity. A lot of times it's time. You know, people just want your time, so be generous with your time. Um, everyone has different resources, and so just understanding what your resources are and being generous with those resources for other people's prosperity, that's what the real key is. And, and the thing that really makes it work, again, to to underwrite the ego that's going to try to underwrite is be generous with no expectation of reciprocity. And when, because when you build solid relationships, um, the, your network and connections and trust start expanding uh, exponentially. We're talking with Robin Dreek uh, and Cameron Stouth, who have uh, authored this book, uh, The Code of Trust, an American counterintelligence expert's five rules to lead and succeed. Your comments are welcome at 844-WHARTON, 844-942-7866 is the number to give us a call. Or if you can't, send us a comment via Twitter and we'll bring it up on the show at bizradio111, B-I-Z radio 111, or my Twitter account, which is at DanLoney21. Uh, to both of you, Cameron, I'll start with you. How much do you think, when, when you look at all of these different ideas that, that Robin has brought forth, how much do you think they are either impacted negatively or 
or positively maybe to a degree, but more negatively because of the digital world that we live in and because the connection at times between people in companies or in, uh, in a pair of companies seemingly is not face-to-face as much as it was, say, 10 to 15 years ago. Yeah, that's exactly right. And we, in fact, spent a whole chapter on how to deal with people in, in a digital world, uh, how, how to write the correct kind of emails, um, how to talk on the phone, which is different than talking in real life because you don't have the body language. And the, there is a problem. We, we are disconnected. And that's part of the reason we don't trust each other anymore. You, you can't look somebody in the eye often as not. Robin? Yeah, the way we addressed it, um, I, I remember I first came up with this methodology because I've done a lot of undercover work, which was a lot of face-to-face, but I remember I was, I was tasked with a question, well, how do we do this kind of work in a digital age that we're now facing? And, and I really I thought about it hard, and it actually became, to me, a little bit easier because when you're dealing with the digital age, you actually have the ability to think about every single line you're writing. Um, when you're going live, you're, you're kind of playing off what the other person's responding with and, and consciously thinking about everything you're saying. But when you're writing, you can do one of those four things I said. You can seek their thoughts and opinions. You can validate them. You can empower them with choice. And you can talk in terms of their priorities. And so when you build that into everything you do in a digital world, mm-hmm. I can guarantee you that every statement you make is about them, and it's going to escalate it. It's a challenge, but if you build it in there consciously, it, uh, it'll really help a lot. But when you do talk with people, whether it be on the phone or, or- if you're meeting face to face, it's the type of communication that you have with that person that that really can uh, drive the positive uh, the pot- positive atmosphere. Correct? Oh yeah, no doubt. You know, because again, what is everyone? When someone's engaging with you, what are they looking for? They're looking to see how vested you are in them, and so you can demonstrate that both verbally and non-verbally. 844-942-7866 is the number to give its call. Or if you'd like, send us a comment via Twitter, either at BizRadio111 or my Twitter account, which is at DanLoney21. Cameron, I'd be interested to know, in doing this book and, and, and looking at these ideas, how do you think that, 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 these, that these concepts have impacted you? How have they influenced me, personally? Yes. Yeah. Uh, well, I'll tell you, I just got married last month. Um, Congratulations. I knew my wife uh, before. I'm sorry. Yeah, that's right. I knew my wife before I knew Robin. I knew my wife after I knew Robin. And I'll tell you, we got a lot, got along a lot better after I met Robin. It actually changed my life. That happens with me sometimes in a book, but it happens about every 20 years. Yeah. <laughs> I, I wrote the first book about cancer prevention 40 years ago, Changed My Life. I wrote a book uh, about 20 years ago, The Science of Happiness, uh, Changed My Life. And, and this one did, too. Uh, it, it, it teaches you how to get along with people, even though I should have known that at my age. I should have known that. Yeah. Um, but I was just missing some steps. I, I was trying to win battles. And you can win every battle and lose the war. Uh, now what I'm trying to do, I just... I, my wife has something that she thinks I don't agree with, but I just try to understand her. And as Robin was saying, people don't need you to be a yes man. They just want to be understood. And that's what I do now. And I tell you, it's, it's working at work, at home, everywhere. So, uh, Robin, are you taking a little credit for the, for the marriage coming off? 
Uh, I remember when Cam first told me that. Um, <laughs> I was flattered. Uh, I won't take credit for it because it, it's what it is. It's Cam's executing. He's executing what he was saying. This stuff, when you read it, you're going to say, oh, my God, that's easy. That's common yeah. sense. It, it's just, but it, it's kind of anti-intuitive to us as human beings because we deal with so many insecurities. This code helps you, uh, you know, get over those insecurities. How much, well, the, the fact that Cameron, you know, just said that this impacted uh, him getting married, how much, uh, obviously, you believe that, that these are concepts that not only will work in the workplace, but they work in, in people's lives in general? Absolutely. I consult not only myself with my with my kids. I got a daughter in college and a son and a senior in high school. Uh, my coworkers, my, my friends and family um, at work. I am, as Cam can attest to, and, and anyone else that knows me, I, what you hear is what you get with me. I am the same person everywhere because I live the code. Um, this is my this is my manual on how not to be the person I was born to be. This is this is my manual on how to overcome that that type A hard charger that just barrels forward and ruins relationships because they think it's all about them. What do you think it was though about our society that that really had changed so many people into living that type of lifestyle or being that type of employee in the in the office? You know, th- th- there's a lot of things. You know, societies and cultures go through uh, ebbs and flows of things. And one thing that happened in the last probably twenty, thirty years was. People became very, um, very divisive, not because they're intentionally becoming divisive, but because they're singling out groups. And anytime you single out one group, even if it's a positive way, what happens is everyone else feels ostracized. And they start trying to convince them that they should be part of that group, too, because, again, our genetic coding says we want to belong because belonging means survival. And so every time someone singles out one group, positively or negatively, all other groups are feeling slighted, and so their genetic coding kicks in, so they want to start battling and convincing them to accept me. And so anytime you single out a group or validate someone and not someone else, right. shields go up and arguments ensue, and that's what starts mistrust. Not that I want to necessarily single something out, but I will in this case. I'd also like to get your impact on the influence of social media in this type of loss of trust, and partly because seemingly, and we've talked about this on on the show before is people with social media feel like they can say anything at any time, no matter the impact that it has on a person, a, a, a company, no matter what it is. And that has really changed the dynamic of conversation in the last two decades. Yeah, it really has. Um, you know, with anonymity being in there, the, the, feel, the fear of reciprocity against them is really low. And yeah. So when there's no social cost to the actions you're taking, people are going to take whatever actions they want. And then when you capitalize that behavior on companies and individuals that are profit-driven, um, it's really going to influence behavior of a lot of different people. And and so everything kind of goes helter-skelter all over the place. Cameron, you agree? Yeah, I do agree. Um, Robin has uh, a very unique mind. He has taken the same information that we all have, but he has retooled it, reconfigured it in a way that, allows people who have way too much work to do and way too little time to read to digest this stuff in a fun, easy way, in a systematic way, and make their lives better. So how do you think, uh, we've got about two minutes left, Robin, how do you think you is the best way to handle the negative people in the office? 
Negative people, there's lots of ways people are negative. Um, mostly negative negativity is happening because people are insecure. They're trying to demonstrate their own value to other people with inappropriate behavior, whether they're name-dropping, whether they're self-promoting or all these things. Generally, when you're dealing with negative people, a lot of times negativity is caused from insecurities that they have. Anytime that I, I encounter someone, whether at work or anywhere else, that is having a kind of annoying negative behaviors, first thing I try to do is understand them. I try to understand why are they insecure and what are they insecure about? Because as soon as I can discover those insecurities, I can start validating them and validating other aspects of them because everyone's got something we're working on and everyone's got great strengths. If you take time to focus on the strengths and validate those strengths, the negativity will start flowing away. You also talk about uh, the use of, of people's time uh, in the workplace uh, on a day-to-day basis, and that's something that obviously I think a lot of companies have talked about in terms of maximizing the time using it wisely. Yeah, Time, first of all, you've got to value time of every individual because time is critical, you know, and, it, it's, and it's limited. And so you've got to not make waste it on anyone. Um, and, you know, in the workplace, you just don't want to waste anyone's time. Great having you both with us. Uh, Robin, uh, Cameron, great job on the book. Thanks very much for, for joining us today. Thank you. Robin Dreek, uh, Cameron Stout. The book is The Code of Trust, an American Counterintelligence Expert's Five Rules to Lead and Succeed. For more insight from Knowledge at Wharton, please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu.